Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to Relatable. It is Thursday, January 10th. And as always, we have a lot to talk about. On Tuesday, if you listen to that episode, I kind of caught you up on the whole government shutdown, how long it's been shut down, why it's happening, what Trump wants, what the Democrats want, and really why we cannot see eye to eye. I said that it has a lot more to do with our differences in worldview than it does our differences on policy, our differences in policy. Politics. The left has gotten radically more left, which is something that we're going to talk about a little bit more in depth today. And they simply hate Donald Trump. Uh, so even though securing the border is a, is a, a matter of safety for American citizens, even though it is something that is undeniably good for uh, American citizens, even though in doing so, they would strike a deal that would open up the government that would obviously benefit the furloughed employees that are going without pay right now. They refuse to do it because they hate Donald Trump so much, but also because they just see the world differently than they used to. And uh, then most conservatives do. And that worldview is one, our worldview is one of sovereignty, one of law and order, one of protection for our citizens. And that does not exclude compassion for people in other countries, but it does mean that as a wise sovereign nation, we have to be able to enforce our laws. We have to have some kind of check on the people that are coming into our country. Uh, Democrats, simply at this point, don't agree with that for the reasons that I listed. So on Tuesday night, Trump delivered an address to the American people. It was shown on all uh, major cable news networks, and it was uh, a few-minute speech where he just talked about the importance of a wall. We had, before he even went on, we had a leftist on Twitter saying that they were going to boycott it, they weren't going to watch it, and I said, there's no way that they're not going to watch it. There's no way, because then they won't have anything to talk about the next day. They won't be able to say what an evil, awful, bigoted, racist speech it was if they didn't listen to it and they'll have nothing to talk about and therefore nothing to live for. So all of the people saying that they were going to boycott Trump's speech either are A, line or B, they were never going to watch it in the first place. So it was a stupid hashtag to be trending. Uh, for those of you who didn't get a chance to watch it, but maybe you wanted to, I'm going to play you a little excerpt here. In Maryland, MS-13 gang members who arrived in the United States as unaccompanied minors were arrested and charged last year after viciously stabbing and beating a 16-year-old girl. Over the last several years, I've met with dozens of families whose loved ones were stolen by illegal immigration. I've held the hands of the weeping mothers and embraced the grief-stricken fathers. So sad, so terrible. I will never forget the pain in their eyes the tremble in their voices, and the sadness gripping their souls. How much more American blood must we shed before Congress does its job? Okay, so obviously I agree with him. I thought it was a good speech. I thought that he spoke extremely simply. I thought that he made excellent points. Uh, everything that people on the right have been saying for a really long time, I think were encapsulated pretty well in his address. Now, 
to be honest, he is not the best at a teleprompter. He is no Ronald Reagan. We know that this was kind of Ronald Reagan's trademark. He would go on national television. He would kind of go above the heads of the Congress people to say, this is what needs to happen. And you need to put pressure. The American people need to put pressure on your representatives in order to get this passed. He was very good at that. Of course, he was known as the great communicator. He has a a long history of being effective in that realm. Trump just doesn't. That's not his strength. He has other strengths, but that really isn't one of them. And I thought that that was on display in his address. He's just not He's just not natural when it comes to the teleprompter. He's much better impromptu. I think we can all agree on that. Plus, I know this is really small, but I was thinking the whole time how it's really annoying how you can hear his breath after every few words. That's not his fault. That is the fault of the tech people. They should have given him a different kind of microphone. He had, I think, a lapel mic, and he probably should have had like an overhead mic or something. Something to reduce that noise. They should have figured that out. That's not his fault, but that was bothering me the whole time. So it just kind of, it kind of took away from it for me. But, but, but I I have a but here for all of you out there who think I'm so anti-Trump, which I'm not, by the way. But uh, I, let me, let me finish here. So I thought it was okay. I, I thought I agreed with it, but I thought the delivery was eh, okay until until I saw the gift from God. I So I, I didn't know how it could get any less charming than Trump's delivery until I saw Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. Chuck Schumer, of course, is the minority leader in the Senate. Nancy Pelosi, Democratic Speaker of the House. I did not know it was possible to be as lifeless as they were but still have beating hearts. Like, I didn't know if this was a weekend at at Bernie's reenactment or if this was a remake of iRobot. I mean, they honestly, they honestly looked like they had just been wound up and programmed and introduced to the human population for the first time 15 minutes before they were on camera. That is what they looked like. I, I've, I have never, I've never seen something like it. I was scared. I was scared looking at Chuck Schumer. I was like, he, he is going to stare all the way into my soul and snatch it out of my body like the Grim Reaper. That is exactly what he looked like. Nancy Pelosi. I mean, she looks great for 78. I'll admit that. Whoever did her makeup though was like, girl, we got to pound it on tonight. It was, Oh my gosh, these two made Trump look like Prince Charming. They made him look like he has the charm of John Stamos for crying out loud. He looked and sounded awesome compared to Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. And that's that's the great thing about this whole battle between Donald Trump and the Democrats is that You know, Republicans, conservatives like me, sometimes we look at the things that Donald Trump says and does and we're like, I really wish you weren't like that. I really wish you didn't tweet that. I really wish you didn't do that like that. Did you have to say that? But then, you know, it's really hard sometimes to criticize him because as soon as he does something that you're like, that's just too much for me. The Democrats do something worse. They out crazy Donald Trump on a regular basis, which I think is pretty hard to do. But they do. And they wonder why they're not more popular. So let me play you just a little excerpt of Nancy and Chuck. And the fact is, President Trump must stop holding the American people hostage, must stop manufacturing a crisis, and must reopen the government. 
Thank you. Leader Schumer. Thank you, Speaker Pelosi. My fellow Americans, we address you tonight for one reason only. The President of the United States, having failed to get Mexico to pay for his ineffective, unnecessary border wall, and unable to convince the Congress or the American people to foot the bill, has shut down the government. Oh, man. So uh, here's the thing is that no one's mind was changed. Not a single person's mind was changed. Uh, All of us, every single one of us went into this with foregone conclusions. We already know what we thought about immigration. We already knew what we thought about the wall. We already uh, knew uh, the outcome that we want to happen with this whole government shutdown struggle. Uh, So I highly doubt that any person that any person went into this uh, thinking, okay, you know what? I'm going in with an open mind. Maybe the president will actually will actually say something to change my mind. No, no, not at all. That definitely didn't happen. Uh, in fact, the media had already made their minds up. You know, the bias, facts first media, CNN, facts matter. I think that's their slogan or something like that, which sometimes is just absolutely laughable. Um Just to show you how biased they were going into this, I want to show you this exchange, which is really an awesome exchange, by the way, between Jim Acosta and Kellyanne Conway, Jim Acosta of CNN, who loves him some Jim Acosta. I'm sure you've heard that before. Uh, (laughs) Listen, listen to the question that he asks Kellyanne Conway before the address happened on Tuesday night. And then and then listen to her just just. Go. You just want to cheer. Okay, listen to this. And can, can you promise that the president will tell the truth tonight? Will he tell the truth? Yes, Jamin. Can you promise that you will? I will. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. So I, help you, God. I'm not the Am one I who has to the alternative facts problem like you do. Make sure that goes viral. Okay. This is why, by, by the way, this is why I'm one of the, the only people around here who even gives you the time of day. Can you, can you guarantee and that the president's speech will pass a fact check? Let me get back in your case because you're such a smart ass most of the time and I know you want this to go viral. A lot of these people don't like you. But let me just be respectful to the media writ large as I always am. I explained that that was alternative information and additional facts. And I explained it many times. And don't you put it back in my face for all the corrections that your network needs to issue. I was on your network 25 or 26 times in 2018. I'm one of the last people here who even bothered to go on. And the disrespect that you showed to me personally, I'll just look past. Ma'am, um, I, I, no, I no, just and don't call me ma'am to, to make it up. Tonight. I mean, that was that was amazing. Go Kelly and Conway. I just love when people just like let it go. When they just are like, you know what? I've been thinking about this for a long time and someone needs to put you in your place. That's why I loved, I was thinking about this the other day, how Kavanaugh's response to all of the accusations when he uh, was on the Senate floor, when he had to defend himself, why I thought that was so good because he didn't leave anything unturned. He said it all and he stuck it to them. He said, you are just trying to accuse me unfairly because this is a political game. I love that. I love when people don't leave anyone guessing with what they're thinking. Sometimes, sometimes. I mean, there has to be a filter. But when it's necessary, I just love when someone can articulate it. That Like that Lindsey Graham moment uh, during the whole Kavanaugh hearings. That was just so good. You're like, yes, you said everything I want to say. Well, this was this moment with Kellyanne Conway. Uh, But that wasn't really the point. The point was that obviously these networks, I'm sure Jim Acosta of CNN is not alone, already had their conclusions drawn before going in. Everyone said, oh, well, uh, Donald Trump is going to lie a lie about all this. They had the fact checkers out. 
I don't really remember do them doing the same thing to President Obama. But look, I appreciate a good fact checker. I think we should be fact checking the pre- president, but we should also be fact checking Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. We should also be fact checking the Democratic politicians. We don't seem to be quite as vigilant about that, strangely enough, as we are uh, as we are about President Trump. And like I said, I care about telling the truth. We should call the president out when he is not telling the truth. But if you will remember, if you'll remember Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she said in her 60 Minutes interview, which I think we'll get to at the end of this podcast, uh, she said, you know, people are a lot more concerned with me being factually correct than they are with me being morally right. Wow. Spoken like a true, a true socialist. Okay. If that is the standard that we want to apply to everyone, then we should definitely apply it to Donald Trump. Who cares if he's not factually correct here and there? He's morally right. Right, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? No, of course not. She doesn't believe that. But the thing is, is that I do think in this case he is morally right and he was factually correct. Has he fibbed a few times or exaggerated a few times? He absolutely has. And we need to hold him to a high standard. But we need to hold every politician to the same standard. Uh, but he said a lot of good things in his address last night and a lot of things that I think really resonate with his base. And what we want him to do is is follow through on that. Democrats have a much harder case to make, in my opinion. Now, probably not to their radical base. But in my opinion, it's really difficult for them to justify why they're okay with furlough workers not getting paid. And the reason why they think that that's okay is because they don't want to secure the border. So like I said on Tuesday, you've got two things here that are going to help the American worker and help the American people. One, the American worker gets paid, those that work for the government that are currently furloughed. Two, that you secure the border. Both of those things are good for the American worker. Both of those things are good for the well-being and the security of the American people. And Democrats are refusing to do both of those. Uh, They're calling this a manufactured crisis. They're saying that this isn't real. This is fear-mongering. This is hate. This is, as Nancy Pelosi says, an immorality. Well, my my question is, okay, a wall is an immorality. This is a manufactured crisis, which it's absolutely not. There are millions and millions of undocumented, I shouldn't even say undocumented, illegal immigrants in the country that actually cross the border illegally. They're not just visa overstays. And there is violence at the border. We're making it harder on our border patrol agents to do their job because there is no physical barrier stopping these illegal immigrants from getting in. And as President Trump mentioned in his address last night, this endangers children that are exploited, that are sometimes kidnapped, that are often trafficked. Why? Why wouldn't an American politician want to do something about that? And yet all they have to say is, well, you know, we we care about securing the border. We do. We just think this wall, we just think this wall is racist and wrong. Okay, you secure you care about securing the border? Okay. Okay. If someone can tell me one proposal that a Democratic congressperson has put forth to secure the border and to deal with illegal immigration recently, since Donald Trump has become president, I would love to hear it. I want you to hear this exchange, which is awesome, um, between between Stephen Miller, who works for President Trump, and CNN's Wolf Blitzer. This is a few weeks old, but it's just another one of those clips that you're like, yes, keep going. Okay, 
Listen. Democrats, all they need to do is support border security and the government will be funded. But well, that, that, that barrier that we're support, talking about uh, is Stephen, what the, the Border Patrol The Democrats wants. support border security. They don't support $5 billion for could you, a wall. Could, could you identify, Wolf, for me, some of the kinds of border security you're saying the Democrats The Democrats all support? say they support border security. But, but like what? Where they, they, don't, well, where they disagree with Wolf, you They voted against Kate's law. They voted against ending sanctuary cities. They voted against supporting MS-13 gang members. They voted against supporting violent criminals. They voted time and time again against a physical border wall to stop illegal entry. I mean, wh- where is the evidence that you keep asserting therefore border security? They haven't been. So love him or hate him, a lot of people have different opinions about Stephen Miller. He was 100% right. I mean, he had all of his facts right there. I'm like, how do you just recall that off the top of your head? Uh, but he's right in that Democrats right now are not interested in securing the border. They're just not. They are interested in offering illegal immigrants the same privileges and the same rights that our citizens have. Um, actually, at the expense of our own citizens. So not only are American workers right now, hundreds of thousands of them, not getting paid because Democrats don't want to fund border security, but Americans are actually footing the bill for illegal immigrants to have things like health care coverage. Uh, so New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio promised guaranteed health care coverage to illegal immigrants. Um, and so did the new California governor, Gavin Newsom. Uh, he said that he's going to guarantee illegal immigrants health care coverage until the age of 26. So not only are we hearing now that health care coverage, they like to say health care, but it's important. We're talking about health care coverage. So health insurance, they are saying is an absolute right, is an absolute right to every citizen. That's what they want. Single payer health care. They don't want to allow you to get a health care coverage from your employer. You have to get it from the government. That is the direction that they would like us to go in. So not only are they saying that, okay, healthcare coverage is an absolute right for every single citizen, whether or not they can afford it. And oh, by the way, everyone else needs to pay for the healthcare coverage of everyone else. Okay, got that. They're also saying that not only do we have to pay for the healthcare coverage of our fellow citizens that can't afford it, but we also need to pay for the healthcare coverage of illegal immigrants, people that broke the law by entering our country illegally. We need to pay for their health care coverage too. Why? Because it's just the right thing to do. I guess it's morally right to steal from people uh, to accomplish purposes that you don't agree with. Sure. Um, I guess it's moral for us to incentivize people to make an extremely dangerous and sometimes deadly journey to come into our country by offering them all of the things that we offer their citizens. I guess it's uh, moral to not have uh not have a sovereign country and be able to enforce our laws or protect our communities. I guess that is the morally right thing to do. Um, And we know where all of this is leading. Uh, Illegal immigrants are given more and more privileges. They're given a greater and greater number of rights to soon. It's going to be basically indistinguishable, whether you are an illegal immigrant or a citizen. And that is going to lay the foundation for being able to say, well, Obviously, all illegal immigrants can vote. We already know that that's a problem uh, in Texas. Texas Democrats were actually caught registering non-citizens to vote by lying and saying that they were citizens. So we already know that this is a problem in some states. Um, but it's laying the foundation for saying, of course, illegal illegal immigrants can vote. What What is illegal anyway? People are just people. They live here. 
Why why shouldn't they be able to vote? So this is about power for the Democrats. Um, and it's also because of the radical left that has taken over the party. So that's the reason why just a few years ago, you had Democrats like Barack Obama, Chuck Schumer, Hillary Clinton, Nancy Pelosi saying, yes, of course we need to rein in illegal immigration. Yes, of course we need to do something with, with border security. I mean, you have them on record saying those things. But now they're saying, no, 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 it's actually immoral to talk about that. Um, and that is because of the far left, but it's also because of power, because they realize that eventually they're going to be able to get the votes of those, however many it is, 11 and a half million illegal immigrants that are in this country. So the more the merrier for them. Um, and this kind of this movement, this far left social justice, identity politics, intersectionality, crazy movement that says if you are a, a marginal, if you are non-white, basically. And so if you are an immigrant, if you are a Muslim, if you are gay, if you are a woman, if you are all of these supposedly uh, oppressed oppressed kind. If you are in any of these supposedly oppressed categories, then you get more credibility. You uh, get more privileges than the evil white Christian male. That entire mentality has taken over the left wing part of the Democratic Party, which I think is really overtaking the party as a whole. And you can hear it in their rhetoric a few years ago. Like I said, we were in agreement on illegal immigration. Now we don't even know if we should use the term illegal. 15 to 20 years ago, we all believed that abortion was evil. It was just that some people believed that it was a necessary evil and others of us didn't. Um, Socialism used to be a dirty word. Now it's like this rite of passage. Now it's like the most compassionate person you can be is a socialist. That's where we've gone. And they want to say that Republicans are the extremists, that Donald Trump is the extremist, that we're the bigots, that we're the crazy ones, that we're the ones that have gotten more radical and changed. That's not true. Uh, Polarization in politics, a study by Pew Research published in 2017, shows that on every single issue, on race, on welfare, on immigration, on guns, the left has gotten more left. That is not true of conservatives. That is not true of the right. And millennials love this stuff. They love it. It makes us feel good. Uh, We're taught this stuff in college. It plays on this Uh, desire that we have to be a hero, to be a good person without actually ever having to get off the couch. For some reason, we don't connect socialism with the loss of the things that we enjoy most, which I think predominantly is freedom and flexibility, the ability to build our own lives, to be entrepreneurs, to be innovative, to create the life of uh, to create the life of passion that we want to create. They don't see how socialism actually stifles that. For some reason, millennials just don't get that. But Nancy Pelosi does. And that is why these mainstream Democrats are saying, you know what? You're right, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. We do need socialism. We do need open borders because if Democrats are going to stay in power, then we we something's got to give. We've got to give the people what they want. And unfortunately, millennials have been so brainwashed into thinking that socialism and communism and all these collectivist uh, uh, ideologies are good that uh, we really will be steering the country in in that direction. If something isn't done about it, which is exactly why I and others have podcasts that we do. So I promised you guys that I would talk about this Green New Deal 
that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is proposing and that other Democrats like Elizabeth Warren, like Bernie Sanders, like Cory Booker have latched onto and have also said that they are supporting. So this Green New Deal is a deal that will, I'm going to read, cut carbon emissions, eliminating eliminate fossil fuels um, and cause us, cause the United States to rely 100% on renewable energy. Uh, okay, so that's the goal over the next 11 years, 100% renewable energy. So this is from the National Review. They kind of give a, a good a good summary of what this actually means in practical terms. So this is from National Review. Uh, Under the Green New Deal, within 11 years, the United States would be required to eliminate not merely our nuclear power, which does not directly produce carbon dioxide or air pollution, by the way. So he's saying that this doesn't even help us accomplish our goals, but we're just going to get rid of it anyway. Um, But all natural gas, natural gas currently provides about 32 of America's uh, 32% of America's energy and nuclear power produces another 10%. The Green New Deal would also eliminate coal, which provides almost 18% of America's energy and liquid natural gas and oil, which generates another 28%. So in other words, within 11 years, the United States would need to replace about 88% percent of its current energy sources. Uh, And he says, in his opinion, this is not possible short of a societal collapse to agrarian subsistence. According to the U.S. Department of Energy, roughly 1.1 million work in coal, oil and gas production, 2.3 million jobs in transmission, distribution and storage and 2.4 million workers in motor vehicles and component parts and not counting dealerships. Uh, The vast majority of these 5.8 million jobs would be eliminated under the Green New Deal. Of course, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez responds to something like this and she says all these people are going to have a job. Don't worry. They can work for the government. We're going to create new jobs within this, of course, because that's always the socialist goal to get people to be even more dependent on the government than they were before. So other parts of this bill, because this is not only about climate change, this is a holistic bill that would cover what they perceive to be uh, racial inequalities and social inequalities. So It would also cut military spending by at least half. We would be pulling troops from overseas, costing uh, 1.4 million jobs that are actually in the military right now. Uh, I'm not really sure if they've thought about the implications of this. I know a lot of you could be split on this idea of we should not be, you know, the world's policeman or maybe we should. Maybe American boots should be on the ground to make sure that our enemies don't become more aggressive to protect our own interests. And it is always in our best interest uh, for us to spread liberty as much as is feasible anyway, as much as we possibly can. Have they thought about the implications of America leaving these countries and possibly causing more discord than already exists? I'm not sure if they've thought about that, but okay. Um, Every home and business in the United States would have to be upgraded for state-of-the-art energy efficiency, comfort, and safety. Okay, how we're actually going to do that? How? How? How we're going to upgrade all of our homes and all of our businesses and all of our buildings to match this criteria? How much that's actually going to cost? By the way, a conservative estimate of how much this is all going to cost is going to be uh, about $40 trillion. That's a conservative estimate. Do you realize how much our lives are going to be affected and inconvenienced and interfered in and controlled by this? That this isn't going to be an option. We're not going to be able to choose 
whether or not we want to greenify our business, whether or not we want to greenify our homes. It's going to be something that is mandated whether we want it or not. Okay. This also, like I said, is not just climate change, but it also includes a basic income program. So, of course, there are issues with that. And then single-payer health care, which she has been harping on uh, for a really long time. So it's just a bunch of socialist programs that she says are going to um, solve racial and social inequity and fight climate change. She doesn't have any whatsoever basis to back this up, that this is going to all of a sudden stop racial inequality. What we're talking about is reparations, which is this idea that we need to pay certain races back for injustice that they've experienced at some point in American history, which is absolutely absurd. Again, there's no factual basis that that's actually going to work or that that's something that we should do. I don't think we have a moral obligation to do that either. Uh, That's certainly not part of the American way. Uh, The Green New Deal would also establish a federal jobs guarantee. This is what Cory Booker loves because he has proposed something similar to that in the past. One of the few non-energy related parts of the plan, Ocasio-Cortez has spent significant time advertising, says Fox News, and it would include provisions to, quote, mitigate deeply entrenched racial, regional, and gender-based inequalities in income and wealth. Okay. How? How? And see, things like this, gender, uh, gender-based gender inequalities. These people refuse, refuse to believe that gaps like a so-called wage gap or an employment gap or a parental leave gap between men and women has anything to do with personal preferences, has anything to do with how we were made, has anything to do with the value systems that men and women have that are just different. They are. Uh, they insist that this is a governmental issue that can be solved by more government. And again, there's no basis for that whatsoever. If you look at Sweden, who in the 60 Minutes interview, uh, Ocasio-Cortez says that she wants to emulate. If you look at Sweden, they have the most uh, progressive system in the world for parental leave. And yet, what do we see? Women still take the vast majority of parental leave, far more than men do. Why? Because they choose to be at home. They want to be at home. They want to take care of their families. There are uh, there are way more, uh, a much higher number of stay-at-home moms um, and caretakers in Sweden that are women than there are men. Because that's natural. Men are more driven to provide than women are. That is just a fact. When women are working... It is typically because they enjoy their job. They like their career. They want to move up. I don't think that there's anything um, inherently wrong in that. Obviously, I work full time. When a man works, yes, it could be because he's ambitious and he loves his job. But there is a secondary or maybe even primary motivator there. And it's, I got to take care of my family. I got to make sure that my family eats. Yes, in my family, for example, and this is kind of getting off track, but in my family, for example, yes, I, I do work and I love to work and I work a lot and my husband works. But at the end of the day, it is his responsibility to make sure that our family eats. It it just is. At the end of the day, if we are both like out of our jobs and I'm like, I got to stay home with my baby. I don't know what to do. He's going to go get a job at McDonald's. 
He's going to figure it out. He's going to do whatever it takes to make sure that I and our future daughter are taken care of. That's not my primary role as long as I am married. Uh, There's a difference between men and women that people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, like progressives, do not want to reckon with. They do not want to come to terms with. They want to say that, no, these social programs and more government control is going to erase any kind of gender-based inequality or racial inequity in its it's just not going to happen. It's never happened. Um, so according to the proposal, this is the last thing. The Green New Deal would deeply involve national and local labor unions to take a leadership role in the process of job training and worker development. And it promises the funding of massive investment in the drawdown of greenhouse gases. That's a code phrase for giving billions of taxpayer dollars to renewable energy companies, says Fox News. So <laughs> This is the plan and the agenda that people like Ocasio-Cortez have that is overtaking the Democratic Party. You know, a lot of people say that people voted for Trump uh, because of fear. And I actually think that's right. I think people are scared of the Democrats. I think people are scared of Democratic policies. I think they're scared of socialism. I think they're scared of this world the Democrats are leading us into in which we have very little freedom and in, in which everything is given up to the government. I don't think that people want that. I think people are scared that this that this country, the last beacon of liberty that exists in all of the universe, the economy that's booing the rest of the world, that we are no longer going to be the resource and the powerhouse that we have been for all of our history, almost all of our history. Um, so I think it's legitimate to say that people vote for Donald Trump based on fear. And that people do vote for Donald Trump based on he's so much better than the other guy. I'll admit that's what I did. I didn't I didn't want to see our country go the same direction it was going uh, when Obama was president, which is so far left. So much of this has been normalized or was normalized during Obama's presidency. I don't want that again. And I will vote for Donald Trump for the same reason again. Do I think that he's morally perfect? No. Do I think that he lives like Jesus? No. Am I sure that he's a Christian? No, I'm not. But he's not Kamala Harris. He's not Elizabeth Warren. And I'm not voting for my savior. And I will continue to criticize him. And that's not to say there's nothing that he could do to lose my vote. There is. I don't know what. But there is. But yeah, Democrats scare me a lot. They scare me a lot. I don't like the future that they are painting for our country. And so I I will vote for an imperfect Republican or an imperfect person who is going to represent uh, the conservative agenda before I will vote for a progressive Democrat. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Now, my mind could change on that. I could I could change. I'm open to discussion on that because I know people have different views. But looking at something like the Green New Deal, it's really it's really hard for me not it's really hard for me to imagine not voting for the other guy. The at least it's not Ocasio-Cortez guy. And I think a lot of Americans feel that way. Uh, I wonder if Democrats will wake up to that. I hope not. I really do, uh, because I think it helps our chances a lot in 2020. Okay, I wanted to answer one question and then we shall be done. Oh, maybe two questions. Uh, So someone asks, what is your stance on marijuana legality and where do you think science diverges from scripture? Love you so much in everything you do. You're an inspiration. Well, thank you so much. Uh, My stance on marijuana, 
Oh, I still have some research to do. So I am okay with medical marijuana for legitimate medical needs. Both of my brothers have epilepsy and they are pretty much under control with the medicine that they have. My grandma has had seizures. And so I know that if someone came along and said cannabis is going to heal your brother of seizures, one brother still suffers from epilepsy, then I would say yes, especially if that was my son or daughter, they were suffering from epilepsy and someone said cannabis is going to fix that. And I'm not saying that it does absolutely in every case. I'm just saying if that were offered to me, I'd say, heck yeah, we're going to try whatever we need to do to make sure that my son or daughter is better. So I'm okay with medical marijuana. I think most people probably feel that way. Um, I, I don't believe in harsh criminality of marijuana. My husband and I have discussed this before, how sometimes the punishments for possession of marijuana have been too harsh. Okay, I understand that argument. But on the other hand, I haven't heard a very good argument for uh, legalizing and introducing yet another substance into the mainstream that inhibits the mind. Now, a lot of people say, well, alcohol is worse or something else is worse. Why don't we ban alcohol instead? Okay, well, it's it's already illegal. So I don't think we need to go backwards on that. But there has been a whole study, not even a conservative study, an entire study. I was actually watching it on TV the other day just about uh, how how marijuana really can be a gateway drug and there really are um, addictive properties to it. And it really, it, it doesn't, it does not help the mind. It certainly doesn't help the mind. And in that way, I have to wonder if it helps families, if it helps communities, and if there is anything good about legalizing it. I think there is this whole libertarian strand and conservatism that thinks, oh yeah, cool, cannabis, weed, dude. I just don't like think that's that cool. Like if we believe in responsibility and if we believe in pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and being the best that you can be and living up to your potential, being a contributor to society and taking care of your family, is like weed really something that we want to get behind? It's just not a it's not a hill that I'm gonna die on. I'm just not like I I just don't care enough about that battle to be like, yeah, legalize weed. I mean, okay, sure, if it's legalized, I'm still going to encourage people not to use it. I think it's really stupid. The last question was, how did my husband and I meet? We met at the gym, actually. We were at this like CrossFit type gym when we both lived in Georgia. And he, I think like we were in the city. He actually was a trainer there part-time. He had a full, whoa, just dropped my mic. He had a full-time job too. But I think we just started talking. And actually the first time I saw him there, he was with, his girlfriend and we did not talk but after they broke up we started talking and yeah just hit it off i knew after a week of talking to him that i was gonna marry him i texted my friend i was like oh i just i met my husband i don't know just knew and as fate would have it we were married about we're married a little less than a year after we met so all happened really fast and i've never looked back okay thanks for listening to relatable i will see you guys next week on tuesday (laughs) 